with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good evening, good afternoon, good day. Welcome to Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kowick, and me from the land of, hmm, I don't know, the Red Dragon, I guess. Uh, the gold standard in ghost hunting, the god of infrasound, and the newly, hmm, what are you now, newly... Father of the Bride. Father of the Bride, Steve Passes. Good afternoon, evening, morning, Wednesday, That's, Thursday, etc., etc., etc. Well, then, kick it off. So... We're all waiting. Oh, we both, uh, well, you know, we just we both had. Uh, thing you know, dead both air on the We mostly recently became. We I don't know did. what, what in laws um, in laws I guess. Well, I'm often referred to as an outlaw. <laughs> no, I, always, I, knew, I always knew that. Well, there we go. Yes, uh, we both recently married off our eldest. Yeah, that's true. And uh, so it went well. Finally got rid of them. Oh, did I say that out loud? No. No, uh, no, yeah, no. Yeah, this past weekend, of course, I was at my favorite daughter's wedding. Um, Holy daughter? Yeah. <laughs> 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 I can get away with saying that, you see, without being undiplomatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had to travel up um, to the city of Liverpool. Oh, and, uh, oh cool. Home with Beatles. Home of, well, home of me as well, actually. Well, just over the water. And uh, we went to the wedding and I gave her away and we did the dad dance. I did the speech and then I drove all the way home again. Oh, that was fun. Uh, It was five hours each way. Yeah, blast. Sorry? That's a blast. It was, it was fairly pleasant. It wasn't a wasn't an unenjoyable journey. I I don't mind driving, so it's not really much of an effort. How long was the whole ceremony and stuff? Um, began at three, and I think it was due to finish at one a.m. But we left at nine p.m. <laughs> huh. Huh. Yeah, well, you've got the wedding at three, then you've got photos and speeches and the 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 Then you have the the dancing, the fighting, and the drinking. Yeah, my wedding lasted uh, all of uh, ten minutes. <laughs> well, that's because you were the celebrant. Yes, and uh, I mean we, the ceremony married, itself. Nobody was there, celebrant. just her sister and uh, her husband <laughs> and uh, my wife and myself and my son, and got married in the gazebo outside and well, went out for breakfast. <laughs> well, you know, that's what my wedding to uh, my lovely um, wife, Cat. Cat. Oh, was like, um, there was me, Kat, her parents, and my daughter, and then we all went out for a meal. Hmm. And as I said to Helen, you know, I mean, she didn't have a huge wedding, but 
you know, she got lots of friends. So they there was a lot of evening guests. In fact, the evening guests outnumbered the daytime ceremony guests. Uh, um, but I said, you know, don't spend £20,000, which is the yeah, current... hard part, you know. Well, that's the UK's current average wedding spend, £20,000. Uh, so sad. I know. I said, because you're no more married than if you spent £2,000. That's true. Oh, I mean, in my case, whatever the marriage license was, <laughs> twenty dollars. Mm. So, so then they've go. gone off to they've gone off to uh, Paris to Euro Disney for their honeymoon. Oh, sweet! I went to D- Disney on my honeymoon. How you went to uh, for the American Florida's, Florida's yeah. Disney World? Yep, Florida. Yeah, but Europe is like Florida to the UK. Kinda. You know, it's not that far away. A little bit of water, and you're there. You well, know. Yeah, I mean, but <laughs> Europe, Florida isn't separated from the Americas yet by water. <laughs> but yet, I'm glad you added that. Yet. Well, you know, all the doomsters. We've got to keep talking because if we start to ramble, someone will come on and turn off our microphones, and that will be the end of the uh, again. Show. Again. Uh, happened to uh, Biden, didn't it? This week, didn't know whether he was in India or Vietnam or. Yeah. What his name was? Everybody. What they? Hey, you know, an interesting thing that I discovered is uh, because, as you know, I've been reading, and oh, uh, the astronauts when they return from Earth, they they suffer from that kind of stuff. They, they'll faint. They'll uh, be confused. Uh, they'll they'll do things like they'll have a cup of coffee and they they just let it go because they get it's gonna float, but <laughs> it kind of. <whoop. laughs> I've seen some uh, clips from that, but uh, yeah, it's uh, because of, you know, being up in... Uh, well, you know, I mean, you, well, think about gravity. it. Uh, have you ever been on a boat, boat uh, like, uh, for, for several hours? Have you been yeah, on a, I, I went on a, a big-ish boat? Yeah, well, wanted, you'll, yeah. you'll know what it's like when you walk back on the dock. It feels mm. like the, the land is pitching up and down. Yeah, it didn't have that problem. But you know what? Because we made many stops. You know, we ah. did the whole Caribbean, Western ah. Caribbean. Well, that explains it then. Yeah, I get the boat, you know, do our things, visit this country. Hey, thing. aren't you due uh, a hurricane? And I week? went on a submarine too. Go ahead. Cool. Don't you have a, hu- a hurricane due this week? Yeah, you're going to get it. Leap? Well, you're, you're Canada. Well, it's going to go up the eastern seaboard. Yeah, but it's not going to get close enough to do anything. Do you think the beach house will survive? Unless it wobbles. <laughs> do you reckon the beach house will survive? We just had tornado warning for the last 45 minutes or whatever. Ooh. But not here, down in uh, southern west. Southern and western. I mean, we do get them here occasionally. I think we the average is like five hurricanes a year we get in Massachusetts. But they're, you know, a little mining ones, not like out west, midwest. Anyway, so uh, I th- I saw an interesting uh, uh, meme or whatever on uh, Facebook. I thought it was very interesting. Uh, it's obviously that payday. You have payday in in the UK, the candy bar. Uh, no. Okay, there's a candy bar called Payday. It's been around for 50, 60 years. I guess they've got to change the name because they're uh, it's. Being uh, people uh, finding that uh, uh, people who don't work are finding that offensive. Oh God! <laughs> Shoot me now. 
<laughs> okay. You know, anyway. I mean, it's like there was a moment, you know, when I had to do the dad speech, the father of the mm-hmm. bride speech, and uh, you think, how do I, you know, ladies and gentlemen, and I would, and members of the twenty-one other assembled genders. That works good. I like that one. That worked good. Hey, yeah. I heard a new, a legitimately heard a new gender this week. Legitimate gender. Uh, Martian? Gift card. Oh, that's a good one. Gift card. Yeah. Hmm. Whatever. You know, we have to, uh, we have to be very liberal in, in our thing, even on our ancestry, uh, you know, of course. I know. Yeah. I know. It's, uh, anyway. Uh, yes. Paranormal news. Have you got yes, any? paranormal because I've been reading again. Actually, well, that, I wrote this. That fills me with dread. I know. I, I read this interesting article uh, by the University Affairs, uh, which was, uh, let me give you the whole thing. I want to give it proper credit. I'm going to start calling you the Joe Biden of the paranormal world. <laughs> University. Uh, I thought I had more information on that. You are now, the Joe Biden of the paranormal world. Anyway, so it's sorry, it's, Democrats. Yeah, we. You know how we million votes. The paranormal, right? Yeah, more popular now than it's ever been. It's probably like forty percent or maybe higher of Americans really? believe in something or other or whatever. Ah, I, belief or I mean, you said the paranormal's never been more popular. Yet mm-hmm. there are surveys that go back to the seventies and eighties where those figures were much higher of belief. I don't think. I don't think it's any more popular now than it's ever been. Oh, we have our TV I, shows. I, because we can. <laughs> exactly. We have 6,000 channels. Exactly. So <laughs> it, it's a case of, I think it's not more popular, it's just more accessible than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. Because if you go back to uh, the 17th century, 18th century, even 19th century, the Ghosts, the paranormal, uh, we have more names for them now. We didn't have UFOs necessarily, but you mean you know, AP, yes. <laughs> the spirit world has always sold copy. You know, the ghost stories of Dickens and uh, mm-hmm. the broadsheets of the um, in the 17th century. They, When they dealt with paranormal subject material, um, they were bestsellers. So I don't think popularity has really changed that much. I think, I mean, I, I think that's innate within human interest. But what's definitely changed now is is accessibility by by a huge amount. I mean, there isn't any information or um, that you can't access. There isn't any um, anybody you can't reach. And the amount of sharing, you know, uh, because at the moment I'm standing in uh, an asset for the investigation coordinator, I get all the inquiries routed through to me now to deal with. Oh, lucky you. Uh, yeah, you would think so. Mm. Um, but there a lot of them are, you know, genuinely surprised how many of them get through. Uh, because today I was dealing with one where there was supposedly these bright lights shooting out from a thunder, a thund- during a thunderstorm from a, you know, from the, the lightning storms. Uh, and obviously, it wasn't lightning. It was something much different. It was a bright streak of two bright streaks of white light uh, that went from left white to right. 
with the people with Simul- simultaneously a motor vehicle went the opposite direction and what you were clearly seeing is the peripheral refraction in the lens of the car headlights uh-huh. i mean it was it was like dead obvious what it was because not just because it started and finished with the motor vehicle but it was obviously motor vehicle lights that were just refracting from the edge so they but people uh, i've got another one from somebody's got one of these ring doorbells mm-hmm. and they've taken a sequence of pictures of foliage in the garden they sent it to mufon originally and mufon said that's ah, just cobwebs which it is it's just you know cars driving past there's wet cobwebs hanging in the foliage in there sort of scattering the light and then a spider appears but their interpretation was aliens which actually believe it or not fits in with the article i was reading because this was published and uh by you know some notable people uh this is uh let me give you the exact thing because i don't want to give you a bunch of as they say somebody says uh, there's, there's a gentleman in Canada, Noel Moffat, a PhD candidate in folklore at Memorial University, is mining his thesis. He's looking at Cold War politics, the evolution of UFO legacy, and the impact on locals, particularly devout Baptists. It reveals the importance in community and how we make sense of the world around us. Now, he is joining a group of researchers examine how people interact with the paranormal, UFOs, alien abductions, uh, crop circles, and that type of things beyond the normal scope of scientific understanding. These researchers are not in the main, but uh, and are not out to debunk the existence of such instances, but rather trying to understand what people do when they encounter what they don't understand, which I fascinating so it's a cycle almost a psychological sec not of the particular incidents but how that instance affects the people right i mean what's your thoughts on that i haven't read it i know but i mean the thought of the concept the thesis of it ah yep so it well, it's not really serious, serious I mean, scientific study. Yeah, but what, what 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 does it aim to produce? I mean, what's the what's the it's end? It's trying goal? to understand how people, uh, how's how people's. Um, I'm trying to think of the, the words. How their their environment and their uh, their. Nurturing. So sociological study. Thank you so much. Yes, yes. You're welcome. Affects how they interpret certain things, which fits in with what you were saying with the garden picture and, and the doorbell thing. Well, it does. I mean, you know, uh, if people are intrinsically, uh, there, there are, let, let's just for simplicity's sake, divide it into three groups. You have those who intrinsically, absolutely believe in the existence of these phenomena or a particular phenomena, aliens, ghosts, it really doesn't matter. You have a group of people 
who are kind of in the middle. Um, they believe, but they haven't seen, or they've seen, and they're not quite understanding it. And then you have a third group who are, it's all fantasy, it's all make-believe, it's all tricksterism and hucksterism and hoax. Mm-hmm. Now, depending upon your circle, your peers, and depending upon family, depending upon, I mean, if you are a, a deeply religious man and you, you encounter an alien, um, then because he, he mentioned um, how the a particular religious group, was it the Baptists? Yeah, which are um, very, very... So all of that plays into how you interpret a phenomena. Right. And you will then go you may change categories but that's that that really is um and i'm sure the report will reflect that people don't tend to change their categories they don't tend to change their beliefs very often um unless it's some very big event um a life-changing event or a life-changing experience what is interesting what i always find very interesting is the number of um, scientists, uh, some modern day, but a lot of the early researchers like Sir Oliver Lodge, Sir William Crookes, um, Michael Faraday, um, and others who went into the subject of spiritualism and whether spirits could communicate, whether there was a spirit realm, um, they went into it intending to debunk but came away believing. Interesting. Which I, I do find that particularly interesting because these were people who went in with a prior agenda, particularly in the case of Faraday and others um, who, I, who I just named. And uh, mm. their mindset was, this is all fooey and I'm going to set out to prove it's fooey. And they, they looked at it, they looked at it quite deeply and they completely changed their their. Uh, and they became actually champions of spiritualism or or at least, you know, um, protagonists to for more serious study, often flying in the face of peer pressure, because in the case of William Crooks and Oliver Lodge and others, they were um, rebuked by their peers for wasting their time and being interested in such nonsense. And yet, you know, they stuck to their guns and said, no, this is, you know, this is legitimate. These are my findings. I'm sticking with them. And that's actually really quite unusual because if you if, if you encounter somebody who intrinsically believes and you say, no, 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 your picture or your evidence is actually something mundane, you yourself are the one who's blocked or ridiculed or rebuked for daring to... Um, you know, to to challenge them. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's many, many paranormal um, groups on social media and a lot of them have these, uh, you know, somebody will will chime in with, uh, no, I can explain that picture, it's a... And then you get people saying, well, why are you even here if you don't believe? Yeah. You know, how how dare you? Now, uh, you know, I mean, I think beliefs, your beliefs going in is, is... is definitely sways the way that you 
interpret evidence, interpret experiences even. Um, you know, as, as you mentioned, I mentioned the Baptist in the article, and you mentioned it too, is that early in era at Ghost Chronicles, we interviewed a Baptist ghost hunting group, but they weren't a Baptist ghost hunting group. They were a Baptist demon hunting group because the Baptists mm-hmm. didn't believe in ghosts. They thought you either went to heaven or hell, and if you were here, you were a demon. So that, that how in fact, in fact, I, I believe, Steve, that your group, Parascience, in uh, Winsper created a, uh, a uh, what do you call it, uh, questionnaire that, you know, that you looked at some of the people's beliefs prior to. Uh, we do routinely. Is that correct? Um, yeah, routinely we, uh, we monitor the beliefs or expectations of our own members. We always have, we have done that for the past two decades now because it's uh, it does play play a role in how you know um and there have been times when members of our team have been in an unfamiliar location ostensibly to investigate they've encountered something that they don't immediately understand and it's quite interesting uh how they interpret it like for example um we heard a noise we were at a boat museum and there was a noise that it wasn't a noise that we were immediately familiar with and looking through the notes afterwards some of the descriptions of the of the noise we didn't recognize because it was described as the sound of a heavy body being dragged mm-hmm. so i mean it <laughs> You know, as we said, how many heavy bodies have people heard? (laughs) Exactly. But you can see how how uh, expectation, belief, um, even even desire, they wanted something unusual to take place, um, can play into how they interpret that particular sound event, which actually was um, tracked down and discovered to be water running from an overflow pipe on an external wall that was then running down the wall. Um, and yet I didn't, you know, I heard the noise. It didn't sound it correlated to a body being dragged. I, I didn't, but this one person in our group did. And it mm-hmm. was interesting from the perspective of how they interpreted the sound. Right. Because it really, I mean, it's quite an unusual interpretation. Mm-hmm. So clearly something, you know, within their psyche, within their imagination, had caused them to come to that conclusion. The, the like Marpet and other ones say that researchers uh, contend that thinking differently about and not judging paranormal claims can yield more important insights. Can we discount an experience because it is out of the ordinary or strange? She did, only they don't think only they if can. you're a complete fool, we need to ask hard and critical questions about it. I and mean, that's that's what I believe a true investigation should be. Well, that, that you know, that's something that wasn't you know we can't claim to be the first. Um, in fact, back in 1848, Catherine Crow, who was a British 
Um, well, this was long before the SPR. She wasn't a member of the SPR. In fact, she died before they were before they were founded. But she had an interest. She was, uh, and she wrote a book called The Night Side of Nature, which is still available. It's still in print. And in it, she calls for exactly that, that these phenomena are reported and that the only way that they will ever be understood is by rigorous, critical, objective examination. And yet you don't ever see that or you've, you just don't see it. Um, I wasn't I was going to say very often, but I would add almost never at all, because the majority of people myself included, because I'm a human being, have an inbuilt series of, well, you know, life experiences, expectations, our own beliefs um, that play into that mix of how we interpret a phenomena. And whilst it's very, very simple to say, uh, oh, you should be open-minded to every possibility, it's an incredibly difficult thing to train yourself to do absolutely you know we because you've got to set aside all of your own prejudice before the before you can become truly objective mm-hmm. yeah i that's you know i mean the i don't think we spend enough time on serious paranormal research as far as understanding um people's reactions to particular things because uh i have well i'm not as adept as you but I, I haven't seen any papers or any anything about uh such studies about uh, the minute ones. The, there are i mean even parapsychologists are guilty of that um you know because then actually quite dismissive generally of the phenomena uh, this, is, this is the this is what i call rhinism because when we had sally quite recently I did, I did say that her father was dismissive of spontaneous cases uh, because of the lack of data that could be gathered from them and he thought that the only breakthroughs would come from uh, studies within the laboratory and thank god that uh, his wife sally's mother louisa um, was the wiser of the two and realized <laughs> that they should be collated at least. Mm-hmm. Well, we have to go to the break right now, so uh, we'll hold on that. I, I, so, anyways, you're listening to Ghost Corner. <laughs> oh, oh, dear. <laughs> oh, I think I'm dying. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Ghost Chronicles International with Steve Parson and Ron Kolick right here on Tojanet Radio. Brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 286 Merrimack Street, Methuen, Massachusetts. The Gallant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street, North Andover, Massachusetts. And our very, very good friends on Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon. And I want to give a shout out to a Patreon member. Since the beginning, uh, Jason Doobie and his wife, uh, well, actually his wife, but that's another story. We'll be back after the break.
Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Parrax family. this far which is more than ron's managing uh um, the second half of the first half of tonight's god help you all two hours ghost chronicles edition with here in uh the united kingdom the gold standard and in the united states sleepy joe van helsing sleepy joe <laughs> oh that's funny anyways uh the article goes on and talks about uh the uh Society for Cycle Research and uh, Henry Sigwood. Sidgwick. Sidgwick. He was uh, the first president, I believe. And uh, he held the coveted title of Knightbridge Professor of Moral Philosophy at the University of Cambridge. Quite a grand title, that isn't it? Yes, it is a grand title. I His wife was also uh, a member, Eleanor Sidgwick. Oh, I did not know that. Mm, one of the founder members. He said that early, early, uh, the early groups like the the SBR and the American SBR um, were, you know, they were they even though their research they were more uh, not as much scientists but humanists. Yeah, I mean, a lot of them were were um, classicists. Um, you know, they were they were much more. Uh, they were, I mean, there was a, a mix of uh, what you would call the sciences, uh, but by and large, a lot of them came from the classics, from humanities. Um, you know, uh, they were just interested in the phenomena and applied scientific principles, but they applied it, I think, in a much better way because they were much more. Uh, dare I say, hands-on in mm-hmm. their investigations. You know, they, they would get out and they would hear about the phenomena and they would go out and they would look at look for the phenomena or experiment themselves, you know, in um, um, 
what call astral projection um, was one good example where and reported some successes. You know, they would they would do experiments that we would consider, or most modern uh, researchers wouldn't consider worthwhile, uh, because they would set up a scenario where, well, I will come and visit you in your rooms tonight at a given time. So they and did. They did field studies as well as laboratory work. Yes, they did. Um, they they investigated hundreds of reports of ghost ghost phenomena. They the um they they looked at six areas of um phenomena you know esp thought transference telepathy clairvoyance clairaudience and ghosts but they had the criteria of with apparitions in particular that the phantom would only be considered worthy if it had been seen by more than one person either uh at the same time or over a period of time, and they were quite specific about that. Oh, that makes sense in a way. You know, they, you can see the thought processes. You know, it wasn't just well, anyone can say that they saw a ghost, but I thought they did, or thought they did, but well, said they did. Um, mm -hmm. But what we're looking for are those reports where the apparition, um, the same apparition by description, has been seen by two people who didn't know each other and didn't know of the former's or following uh, experience. Right. And they... Yeah, makes a big difference. One of the, This is uh, also an interesting fact, too, that the SBR uh, has conducted both, as we mentioned before, both lab and field studies and coined a term telepathy, developed and developed the first algorithm to determine the probability of the phenomenon happening by random occurrence and set up the early standards for collecting firsthand reports. Yes, they did. So, I mean, here we've got, we even introducing, you know, math into the, <laughs> to try to, to try well, to, I mean, you know, yeah. yeah. Um, in fact, I would, I would argue quite quite strongly that the early direction of the or the direction of the early SPR in that first sort of decade perhaps decade or two um, was better than the current SPR in terms of spontaneous phenomena because most of the work of um, par modern parapsychology doesn't not really related to ghosts, hauntings, apparitions, poltergeists, and similar phenomena. Much more focused these days on consciousness and the seat of the mind, rather than survival and other questions, which, by and large, modern parapsychology doesn't touch. There are there are exceptions, of course, Lloyd Auerbach and others. But by yeah. and large, modern parapsychology tends to steer very well clear of, of uh, haunted houses. And when they do, they tend to make a mess of it because they are preloaded with assumptions um, and I would say an unhealthy level of self-belief. Mm -hmm. And that's the experiments that they do.
Yeah, I mean, we, you know, after the SBR was found, the American SBR was found out of, in New York in 1885. But in Canada in the 1920s, uh, Winnipeg physician Thomas Glenn Hanlon observed Ouija board seances in a lab that he built in his home, especially this thing he had banks and cameras and everything else. Turn was a highly respected uh, and served as provincial legislator and was frequently gave lectures in private uh, funded research. But, you know, I seen the photographs that he acquired. And of course, I mean, it, it absolutely looks fake to me. I, I'm just curious why he would associate himself or uh, maybe he just couldn't figure it out or maybe his beliefs got in the way of he was attempting to do probably the latter um i mean there is there is he he certainly wasn't the first legislator or politician or you know senior person um senior administrator of the realm to become involved i mean the spr uh, amongst their very first uh group of members was um british prime minister arthur balfour mm-hmm. um you know and there've been numerous other um, political and administrative uh, figures within society who have an interest. I mean, after all, they you know they're like you and I. Um, it, it doesn't matter whether you're blue collar, white collar, or dog collar. Um, you can still have an interest in these things and bring something to the table. Um, because you have that curiosity. You know, my curiosity was spurred at an early age by just wanting to see a damn ghost. And that's what got me started. I don't know what got them started, but, you know, that curiosity is an innate human characteristic Mm -hmm. that is within us all. Some people it manifests as collecting stamps, other people climb mountains, other people dive under oceans we choose to try to understand at least some some aspect of people saying, hey, I just saw a ghost. Mm-hmm. See, I have, I am so fascinated by the world and the universe we live in that everything fascinates me. That's why we have different topics on the show other than ghosts. Uh, because uh, understanding different phenomena and how sometimes they occur can help us in other studies as well. of course it uh, can. of course it yeah can. i mean i'm not i'm not a one-track pony um you know i started off with lots of well it was a broad brush paranormal approach up until my late teen years um you know as i've said before i was an early member of Bufora, the british ufo research association and that was inspired by my love of a- aircraft and aviation and of course, if things fly around, then you know they could be military, they could be flying saucers. I didn't know, but it, it piqued my interest. The Loch Ness monster is another, because it's something that it it kind of like it's something that you think that you could solve, but it's always just outside of your grasp. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, and yeah. I I want to know the answers. You know, I wanted, I'd read ghost books as a, as a youngster. Um, and I thought, I want to see a ghost. They sound like 
you know, if I see one, I might understand it better, but I just want to see one. Where I was, was a little bit different. I mean, I, I, you know, as I mentioned, I, and many times I have a degree in environmental science because I want to understand everything. And I had no really interest in ghosts, but going out and the long story, I'm not going to get to, but certain experiences that I had doing a investigation TV show type thing, uh, I couldn't explain, and that gave me more, made me more curious, and that's how I got into it. it became my curiosity got the better hold of me. What what is this? I I you know I I want to know more about it. How is it true or is it what is it? And I you know it's what got me there. I didn't have true beliefs on ghosts before going in. Sure, I did subconsciously somewhere, but uh, you know it wasn't. Well, or did you? Because, you know, but it, what it does illustrate is what we said earlier in the show, and that is that we we all, it's how we're brought up. It's what we believe. It's what we expect. It's what we want uh, that colour our judgment and colour our perception of, of, of things because we all come at it. But take take my, my wife, Kat, um, you know, she too was a member of a paranormal investigation team. She went on lots of investigations prior to me meeting her. She's been on lots subsequently. Uh, her her interest in the subject was spurred on by a bereavement. Um, she lost a young relative, and she wanted to understand, you know, or or find out if they had, if there was a you know some aspect of an afterlife. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she started going to psychics and, and that led, that's what fired her curiosity. You know, different people approach the subject. They all end up in the same place. Um, and when they talk para unity, we're all looking for the same thing. Well, that's clearly, yeah. you know, clearly they're not mm-hmm. because clearly people are trying to, everybody's trying to take something differently away from their experience. But importantly, importantly for investigation, they're also bringing something differently to the investigation. And that's not that's that's one of the problems that was highlighted back in 1848, that you can't bring your beliefs and all of your extra you know, baggage with you when you arrive on an investigation. You have to, the only way we'll solve this is by objective, rigorous uh, scrutiny. And that means leaving your baggage and bags at the door and approaching the subject completely objectively. And that is, as I said earlier, an incredibly difficult thing for a human being to do. And it is because, you know, when I do events and stuff and, you know, they're basically two types that come here one well probably three but the two primary ones that are interested in ghost and ghost hunting or two they they have like cat that has had a, a death and they're interested and, and when you go on these events for instance like uh if you did any type of thing where you have a medium or anything then they're always looking for that person oh, yeah. uh to come through or, or to oh, have yeah. a sign of that person so they're, they they oh, have yeah. their own agenda they go, yeah. i i don't i don't know what the actual statistic is 
but if you if you have an a public access investigation or say you have two public access investigations mm-hmm. um, of the same location and one you say this will be led by um Fred Smith, he is a renowned psychic. You will get twice as many um, people there, predominantly female. They're not there for the investigation at all. They are there, as you rightly identified, they are there in the hope that they will get some some sort of personal interaction, some message Um by means of the medium. I've seen this so many times. You know, the, the investigation is only a means to get to see the medium and hope for a, you know, a private message or a personal message of some sort. You know, that's um, the interesting thing. I mean, even as you know, we just did a couple of investigations. The one last one we did on Wood Island we had, uh, they they brought some people with them. There was about a dozen people there that, that really mucked up the whole thing uh as far as uh doing a proper investigation but you know i mean we we still you know did something but it turned into more of that action where it was about them rather than actually trying to understand what was going on at the particular location that's well that's the problem when you in when you hold a public access investigation first mm-hmm. firstly it can never be an, a rigorous objective investigation um it's you know the best you can hope for is 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 i you know like a show and tell this is how we would do it if you weren't here but you are here so we have to change it slightly you know so it's kind of a show and tell uh it's even to call it an investigation i don't feel comfortable with uh, never have done. Because, yeah, yeah, I agree with you because I've you know, seen you do that before. Yeah. yeah, it's it's not. But what you're saying is these are, you know, here are some of the, the techniques that we use. Oh, some um, of the tools. Or... And some of the tools that are used. Um, and you can, you know, you've seen it on television. Now go try it for yourself and come back and we'll talk about it and what it means and what it might represent and we also do um you've been there when i've done it talk about how they've interpreted uh, a particular event or experience or phenomena or piece of equipment because i think it's it's important that they get both sides of the i mean you, you don't want to dismiss what what their experience was and say oh it's all rubbish it's all just flashing lights it's all flim flam what you're trying to do is to say well have a think about it when you next see it on television and they're being attacked by demons from every side. Oh, Are God. they really being attacked by demons from every side or could something else be happening? Because there's no doubt that people see ghosts of, of you know, there's no doubt that, that these questions need answers and that's why people need to investigate. What's always frustrated me is that the, we could actually get closer to understanding a lot of the phenomena if only the investigators would get their fingers out and do the job that they're supposed to be doing because they've got access to some locations where these phenomena are reported. They are equipped to the teeth with the technology 
to that could give Go them some head. information. And yet they're chasing shadows, blobs of light, and stones that are getting thrown around. Mm. You know, it's frustrating. It is. Uh, it, the article goes on and mentioned that J.B. Ryan, whose uh, daughter we actually had on last week's show. So if that was a great did, show. If you did not see her or hear her, uh, you know, it's still available out there on all the podcast things, uh, Ghost Chronicles International. And anyways, uh, it says here that J.B. Ryan uh, founded the field of parapsychology, the study of paranormal and psychic phenomena, champion scientific methods, and making it clear that humanities should be focused elsewhere. He is recognized as the father of parapsychology. Yeah. I don't think I don't think he called for anything that did already exist. I think he just wanted it in a more cohesive uh, way, because you know, as I've already mentioned, Catherine Crow, um, the SPR in the eighteen eighties were also approaching it from this direction, but there had been no mainstream academic work. Although, as Sally did say uh, on the show, her father. He'd seen um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle during his US tour and it had fired his interest and he discovered that uh, William McDougall was doing studies along that line in Duke University and went along and joined McDougall and gradually took over and refined the work. And so it did become eventually the Rhine Institute, the Rhine Research Centre and the Rhine Education Centre at Duke University. So he he refined and defined what parapsychology was. He didn't invent the term. It already it had existed. Um, I think what he did is he brought it um, in line with with modern scientific thinking and modern scientific practice. Mm-hmm. Oh, they actually, I, I, you know, and then, of course, at that time, there was a lot of interest in the, the paranormal, especially uh, after the, uh, you know, First spiritualism World. and everything else. Yeah, and the Second World War. But, uh, you know, eventually the funder ran out. And this is uh, by the mid 20th century, seeking the proof of the paranormal phenomena ran out of academic steam and lost credibility. Researchers were unable to replicate Ryan's work on extrasensory perception, which many concluded was flawed. Today, both the US and the UK psychical societies are run as private organizations with no university affiliations. I'm not sure about that. Parapsychology endures in a small fringe field of a handful of mainly US and UK based labs and amateur sloops took over the tracking of UFOs, Sasquatches, and ghosts. Well, clearly that's that's erroneous because we we know from recent revelations that there are a number of governments and government bodies around the world uh, that have maintained a not covert but uh, a quiet interest in the phenomenon have maintained um, a watching brief on UFO UAP phenomena. Mm-hmm. Um, the article says that the small body of academic parapsychology um, is US and UK, 
Well, actually, the French uh, ha- and the Germans were also very, in fact, in, in the 1930s, around the time Rhine was uh, starting off at Duke University, two of the leading organisations in the world were not uh, based in Britain. It was the Institut Metaphysique in Paris. And um, i just slipped off my... But there was a, an equivalent in Germany as well. So a lot of, in fact, Harry Price throughout the 1930s was trying, was backwards and forwards to Germany uh, because there was much more uh, academic work being done in Germany um, than was being done in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in several ways, that article is not correct. The uh, It goes on to say and, uh, that was how it made until recently when academics began to revisit the paranormal but in a new way, they stopped asking what was a real, what was real instead of mind beliefs, stories and experience for their deeper revelations. When anthropologists, folklore, religion, and literary scholars have long dabbled in ghosts and magic, it's now downright fashionable to be in oh, these disciplines. Oh it, oh, it absolutely is. It's becoming fashionable within academia but not the actual phenomena themselves. Um, as the article does get correct, you now have social anthropologists and you have folklorists and you have even people who study language and the construction of language now getting involved. Um, what they're looking at are the stories. What they're looking at are the way people interpret the stories. What they're looking at are the historical beliefs of society and how they play into the mix. But what they're not looking at are the phenomena themselves. In fact, there is still that kind of patronising... That's probably too strong. No, it's not. Parapsychology is still slightly patronising of field studies. Um, I call it Rhinism, and it's a legacy of what, you know, Rhine's um, belief that you have to do it within a laboratory in order to gain anything meaningful. And so he didn't put much, hold much store in stories of haunted houses. And modern parapsychology kind of still echoes that. And whilst, you know, there are some parapsychologists, Lloyd Auerbach, uh, Cal Cooper, Simon Sherwood, who do have an interest in the field, that's still not their primary you know, uh, motivator. And mainstream parapsychology, both sides of the Atlantic and into Europe and beyond, still have that sort of, oh, well, yes, they're like the, you know, uh, it used to be said that psychology was a fringe science. Parapsychology was a fringe of a fringe science. And ghost hunting is so far out to, you know, one side, it's not even under the fringe. Cal doesn't fit in that, does he? He's more laboratory work. Uh, all of his work's laboratory, but he does yeah. periodically dabble. Um, Lloyd Lloyd Auerbach is much more um, attuned to spontaneous case phenomena. Um, I mean, it's the same even within the SPR itself. You know, there are there are still, um, you know there is still some blue water between parapsychology, academic parapsychology, and spontaneous field uh, investigation. And there is still this strange belief that if you are a parapsychologist or an academic or 
a medical practitioner or any sort of professional with letters after your name, that you suddenly, in addition to the qualification, you also gain the skills and wherewithal to go off and investigate haunted houses. And it's just blatantly not the case. <laughs> and, you know, if you, I remember Lloyd Auerbach said on this, said on this show um, uh, several years ago, and it's, a, it's a, a, uh, a phrase I've repeated many times, uh, about why parapsychologists don't go haunted houses. He said it's a good thing they don't because they lack the social skills. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have seen we so have, many... We have to have to wrap it up though, Steve. So, well, uh, I'll yeah. just end it by saying I've seen parapsychologists make so many errors um, in haunted houses. You could write a book. Oh, and many of have. And it, you've been listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Steve Parsons and Ron Kolick right here on Tojanet Radio, brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 286 Merrimack Street, Bethune, Massachusetts, the Glant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street, North Andover, Massachusetts, and our very, very good friends on Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon. Become a member for a mere $3 a month and get access to exclusive material. See you next week. Good night. God bless. Good night. God bless. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.